0: Thanks for joining us today for the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast, a place where trauma, hardship, and challenge meet faith and hope for the future. Here is your host, Jill Riley.
1: Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. Season three has arrived. I am so excited to share with you this season new guests, new topics, and some great conversations. So, tune in every week on Fridays. We will have a new episode. Also, this season, we will celebrate our 100th episode. So, stay tuned for that. Just happens to fall on my birthday, October 28th. So, we will have a big celebration. Thank you so much for joining us. And here's today's guest Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley. And today, Nicole Thompson joins me. Hi, Nicole. Hi, Jill. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks for asking.
1: How is life in Kentucky?
0: It's it's great. It's summer. It's summer. So we've had some warm days um, coming in and, and it's nice. It's nice to see all the flowers blooming and the grass turning green. So I that's like
1: great. Well, I wish people could see you because you have the coolest colors in your hair. It's so pretty. It's like the purple and teal and ombre and blonde. It's so pretty.
0: I always say so. The coolest thing about being in the recovery world is I don't look like your typical pastor's wife, and so it typically makes me a little more approachable. And so tomorrow I will celebrate 16 years clean, and when people That's come up, awesome. And they- Thank you. When they start talking about my hair, I normally just jump right into some sort of introductory about being free from meth and not being your typical pastor's wife. And you would be surprised how quickly we can start talking about Jesus. And so I like it. I, I do not plan on changing it.
1: That's awesome. I love it. I love it. So tell me a little bit about your family. You and your husband are pastors?
0: Okay. Yes. Um, so we have been married for going on 24 years. We married, I was 20 and he was 36. He had custody of five of his six kids and I had two boys from previous relationships and, uh, he had been sober and clean for a couple of years. Just a great guy, obviously, you know, 20 years ago who has custody of their kids. So uh, he was a great father and, um, you know, from the outside looking in, we had it all together. We prayed before meals. We sent our kids to church. We went on all the major holidays. We were the designated drivers. We were sober. We were clean. We didn't even allow smoking cigarettes on our property. However, uh, the word of God tells us that bad company corrupts good manners. Mm -hmm. And what happened was God blessed us with a construction company. And as my husband wanted to bless some of his friends from his past, All of a sudden, we started having all of these really good workers coming into our front row, but they just had very questionable lifestyles. And a lot of them drank, and a lot of them cheated on their wives, and a lot of them did illegal drugs. And within one year of starting our construction company, there was infidelity in our marriage. Eventually, there was drug dealing, of course, lying. And uh, it eventually led to both of us becoming arrested, our separation, drug dealing, uh, drug use, manufacturing of methamphetamine, and um, ultimately our divorce. Um, my husband ended up going to prison. He was facing 96 years in prison, wow. and I spiraled out of control um, on methamphetamine. So like, what happened was we split up in May of 2002. And I found out that Anthony was doing drugs and I called him up and I said, Hey, I, which I always, whenever I share my testimony, I attribute it to this song. You know, there's a song you can't turn. It's a housewife by Dr. Dre. And so when we split up, I was 24 and my learned coping mechanism was drinking. I learned that from my mom. I didn't really know how to process pain and I had been cheated on. I didn't really understand what went wrong. And so, um, I found myself in bars drinking and, you know, 24 marriage went wrong. Like I just, I didn't know what to do. And I didn't really have any strong Christian friends to help mentor me through it. And so drinking that song said, you cannot turn a hoe into a housewife. Mm. And it, those lyrics, I remember them because at first I didn't know where my thoughts came from. I didn't understand that the enemy or Holy spirit hands you thoughts. Like every thought you have comes from one place or the other. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, when Mm -hmm. I would have these thoughts, it would say he didn't want a good housewife. He didn't want someone to teach the kids swim lessons or to pray before meals. He wanted someone fun that he could party with. And therefore, um, I called him up and I said, Hey, I know you're doing drugs and I want to do drugs too. And he Mm. came over and it just built. I was addicted to the way that I could party on the weekend and get up and go to work on Monday morning. It obviously helped me shed weight. And that's one of the big lies a lot of women fall for. Well, he cheated on me because I didn't look pretty enough. And Mm -hmm. so I liked the fact that it was helping me to shed unwanted pounds from my last child. And um, I was just addicted. And so that summer, the summer of 2002, uh, we both used drugs together. His relapse lasted four months before he found himself arrested. And so we can attribute that. In Matthew, it says, when you clean your house of an unclean spirit, it searches the dry, arid places and finds no rest. And it comes back and it finds your house clean, swept and put in order, but empty. And therefore mm-hmm. it brings back seven more wicked than the first. Well, that's what relapse looks like. Like it doesn't matter if it's drugs, if it's gossiping, if it's gambling, if it's, if you're a shopaholic, you know, if you clean your house and you white knuckle it, you say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do it anymore. As soon as that spirit comes back, if you haven't replaced it with the Word of God, with the truth found in Scripture, with you know worship music, with good friends, with positive, right, you know right. biblical foundations, then it comes back seven times worse than the first. That's relapse. So even though he had had five years clean. We did not have a biblical foundation in any way, shape, or form. So within four months of his relapse, he was facing 96 years in prison. Was that, for, was X that X. for
1: manufacturing and dealing with or yes.
0: so, so he had drugs. So he had several different charges. They ended up, um, they were willing to throw out a couple of the charges if he pleaded guilty to one class X. They would not give him the minimum, which was six years but they agreed to give him an eight year sentence and he ended up doing three and a half years with good time. So, um, he, he got a bunch of education. Um, he did like, he did every Bible study. I mean, he did everything. He got released from parole. I want to say two years early, in Illinois. And they actually wrote him down on his parole release papers as a fairy tale, as the fairy tale story. Like they, they had not had someone like him come through the program. He was arrested at age 40, released mm-hmm. from prison at 44. And I think that he was released from parole at maybe 48. Wow. Think,
1: wow. So like 12,
0: 12 years ago. So he's been out of prison now, 16 years.
1: 16 and, so, years. and so, so what happened with the children during that time?
0: So, um, his three children, I apologize. I should have turned my ringer off and I did. So three children, um, cause the kids were with three different moms. Um, three went back to his ex-wife. Um, one of the boys went to boys school. One of the girls went to a group home and then his oldest daughter never lived with us. So she stayed where she was with her grandmother. Okay. grandmother. Okay. Um, I kept my three um, for about one year. All of the kids were wards of the state, but I had fortunately like by the, I, I don't even know how I had regained custody of my three. And I mean, that's just the, sh- the sheer grace of God. Like, um, yeah that's I, tough I, to do. Even, yeah, and so um but my kids stayed with me through my drug addiction through that three and a half years. Um, I kept a job my first two years and then the last year and a half um, I did unemployment for a little while and then I lived with my mom and I lived in her basement. And that's when I was pretty well, full-blown addiction. By that time, um, I had actually gotten on the needle and um, it was just really, it was atrocious. I had, I had just, I had gotten to the place and I was talking about this with someone else the other day, where it's this vicious cycle that the enemy gets you in of guilt, shame and condemnation, because none of those things are from God. You know, God convicts us, but he never condemns us but the enemy loves to condemn and to shame and to just, and so anytime I would start to have revelation or feel like, man, this is not like, I was probably thinking this wasn't God's best, but I didn't understand. That's what I was thinking. And then the enemy would like swoop in, like, what are you even thinking? You just like, I mean, you don't deserve better. And and then it was just instantly just get high. You need to find some drugs. This is ridiculous. Um, and, and so that's, that was my life for three and a half years, just not being sober. And if I couldn't find drugs, then it was let's find alcohol just to kind of, I think, silence, the voices silence silent right. spirit right. from, from time to talk. to them.
1: So when your husband came out of prison and he had found Christ, um, did you, did you trust that? Did you believe that? Or did you think it was like a jailhouse conversion or what was your, what was your feeling about that?
0: So the whole time he was in prison, he would write me letters and he would always sign them love always and forever your husband. And I think it's Romans 5, 17, call those things, which be not calling those things, which be not talking about the Abraham and Sarah, mm-hmm. um, the deadness of Sarah's And so God had told him that he would restore his marriage, but he needed to believe it, that he needed to call those things which be not. So for three and a half years, Tony would write me these letters and sign them, love always and forever your husband. And I would show the letters to my friends and make fun of him saying, he's such an idiot. Like we're not even married. Like we're divorced. I don't even understand this. And his letters were filled with scripture and so i did feel like it was jailhouse religion and i felt like he had his chance and he blew it and i was angry like when the bible talks about the deadness of sarah's womb mm-hmm. i feel like it was a deadness of my heart whenever we're doing praise and worship songs and we talk about dead bones or dry bones rattling or you know dead things coming to life i can feel that because the day that tony showed up on my doorstep I came to life. Mm. I didn't want him back. Before I opened that door, I hated him. I wanted nothing to do with him. I was mad at him. I did not believe that it was real. Um, So I share this as my Damascus Road experience. Um, It was a week after he had gotten out of prison. He got out of prison the end of April, April 21st. And on April 28th, he showed up at my house. So he paroled out to Kankakee, Illinois, which was four hours north of where I lived in Evansville, Indiana. The girl that he got arrested with went to find him and she showed up in Kankakee, Illinois. And um, he he came back to Evansville with her,
1: Hmm.
0: dropped her off somewhere and then pulled up to my mom's house in her car knocked on my door and wanted to come in and talk. Yeah, I know. Right. But it was to win me back. So like, yeah, you got got to look past the fact that he was in another woman's car. So, um, he wants to come in and talk. And honestly, like when I, when I looked at him, I felt like I saw disgust. I was wearing a shirt and the shirt was a pro lesbian shirt. By this time I had, um, I was, playing both sides of the team. Um, mm-hmm. the enemy had twisted so many things in my mind and the methamphetamine world is very dark. And, um, I was sleeping with both men and women. I had become very promiscuous and, um, I had put on a pro lesbian shirt and I remember the day I didn't have drugs. I didn't have money. I had never put on a shirt during the day like that. I'd only warm to clubs and to bars at night. But I think because I didn't have money, I thought if I wore that shirt during the day that maybe if I wore it in front of the right drug dealer, I might get sympathy drugs, like mm. free drugs, like, oh, she might give me a show later. She'll remember me like, or maybe something else for free. Like that's how that mentality right. goes. So <clears throat> I'm wearing that shirt. My five-year-old's the only one at home. The other kids are at school. My five-year-old can't read. And um, so I had come out to adults, but my kids did not know. And um, so Tony knocks at the door. I'm pretty sure he's disappointed because he sees my shirt and he asked to come in and talk. And like, I'm looking at him. I'm pretty sure he can see the track marks in my arm. Now he, I know he won't stand for it. He's a holier than thou Christian. I'm sure he's just there to judge. These are the thoughts. You right. Know, just right. He's here to judge me. He's going to take Freddie from me. He's not going to sit by and watch me use drugs. He's not going to let let me be a a hoochie. He's not going to stand by and let me raise his son living the lifestyle I've been living. He will take Freddie, and then they will take the other kids. You better slam the door. And before I could shut the door, Freddie comes running in. Freddie had heard his voice. And the thing is, I had only taken Freddie to see him maybe five times in three three and a half years. And Freddie knew his father's voice. Mm. And so I went ahead and I said, okay, Tony, come on in. We went in, we sat at my mom's kitchen table. Freddie was jumping up and down. He just wanting to talk to his dad about nothing and everything. And I just wanted to get the lecture over with. And Freddie would not leave the room. And before I knew it, I said a whole bunch of curse words. And I was like, Freddie, just get the bleepity bleep in the other room. And Freddie hung his head down and big old crocodile tears welled up in his eyes. And as he was about to leave, Tony said, Freddie, come here. And he put his hand up in my face to stop me from saying, and and like, now I'm sure I'm really going to get it. Because if you knew my husband, you would know that he was a very strong, loving father. Mm -hmm. And he always looks out for the little guy. He always takes care of the little guy. And so he picks Freddie up and he puts him on his lap and he begins to hug him. And he begins to run his fingers through his hair and just caress his little back. And he starts saying, Freddie, mommy and daddy love you. And mommy and daddy really want to hear what you have to say. But first, mommy and daddy have to talk. And mommy and daddy have things that they need to discuss. So if you could be the obedient little boy that we know that you are and go into the other room, then when mommy and daddy are done, we'll come listen to what you have to say. So remember." Mm what you want to tell us, but go in the other room first. And you want to talk about feeling like crap. Mm. Like it would be one thing had he just said, daddy loves you. Daddy wants to hear, but why did he cover my sin? Like it was Mm -hmm. like, I had never seen, I've always seen someone take a Bible, shame, shame, shame. You ought to know better. And that they say the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. You want to know how someone's going to act? Hurt one of their babies. Mm-hmm. You want to see how someone's, what's really on the inside of them? What happens when you shake them up? Hurt one of their babies.
1: Then you'll see He, it. Had,
0: he had nothing bad for me at all because he knew I, a person who's deceived can't help that they're deceived. And truth be told, my husband will tell you over and over and over again. And he closes every single testimony with a call to every man in the audience. If you don't like where your family's at, it's your fault. You're the spiritual leader in the house. They are right where you've led them. Hmm. My wife was exactly where I led her.
1: Wow. So what did that conversation look like after Freddie left the room?
0: (sighs) Do you want what I have? Absolutely. Like Mm -hmm. I want to, I want to offer, I'm, I'm, it looked like I'm so it looked like exactly what I just said. I was a spiritual leader. This is all my fault. I was wrong. Please forgive me. God showed me in prison that I didn't guard you. I didn't teach you. I didn't protect you. There's a lot of things that I did right, but there's a lot of things I did wrong. And if you will give me a second chance, I believe I can do it better. Mm. And I believe that God wants us back together. That's really beautiful. You and, and so um, he said he needed a ride back to Kankakee because that's where he was curled out to. He asked me if I would if I would take the four and a half hour drive. Um, so I drove him up to Kankakee. And really, <clears throat> all I remember him saying, for the most part, he talked a lot about Joyce Myers. He talks about all the TV preachers that he watched, but he talked about changing what we were putting in, what we were listening to, who we were around, and that I had to be willing to leave Evansville, that I had to be willing to cut off every person that I had been around and to start over.
1: Mm. And
0: would I be willing to do that with him? And I mean, I wanted what he had. It was the most beautiful. So Romans 2, 4 says it's the kindness and goodness of God that draws man into repentance, that right. makes us want to change, right? Right. Like that day, I wanted what he had. And that is truly what, if the church is living the way that we're called to live, would honestly make outside, outsiders be like,
1: I want what they have. Right. I want
0: what they have.
1: Yeah, underneath absolutely. The
0: pressure, underneath the pressure, there's just something a little different. like I'm not there are days I have temper tantrums. Woo, do I have temper tantrums? I mean, <laughs> but but we learn and we apologize and we move forward quicker. Right. Right. We get better with age. So. yeah.
1: So how did you get to be clean and sober then after that?
0: Um, relocating, okay. moving to Kentucky, Illinois. So um, that was the end of April. I didn't get clean till May 29th. Okay. Um, so it took he was living in the salvation army.
1: It's almost your anniversary.
0: It is. It'll be 16 years in two days. Absolutely. Two days, right? Yes, Yes. two days. 16 years, 16 year. I got my 16 year. I wanted to get my 16 year chip at Celebrate Recovery last night. And Tony was like, no, it's not till the week after. Um, so funny. He's such a stickler for rules. But um So I tried to white knuckle it. I was adamant, like whenever I was in Tony's presence, that I wanted to be clean. And here's the thing. This is what I always tell my people driving back from Kankakee. So what I didn't understand is that that exact concept that I told you, you go to the altar. Okay, you've accepted Christ. He's your savior. But now between the altar and the door, you don't understand why you still have some stinking thoughts. You don't understand why all of a sudden your cell phone rings and the drug dealer's got a free drug for you to try. Or why why that ex that hasn't been giving you the time of day, all of a sudden is in town wanting to hook up or why all of a sudden you got an email about a shoe sale, you know, whatever your struggle yeah. is, trust and believe spiritual principalities and forces of darkness know what your struggle is. And they're going to manipulate like you got to target a bullseye on your back. And so I would be driving home from Kankakee and I would start out listening to worship music and I would start out gung ho until I got a call because I didn't change my number. I didn't, I didn't cancel Facebook or MySpace. I had Mm because that's MySpace was fizzing out and Facebook was just starting and all, and you know, people would call me, there's a party, there's free drugs, there's this, there's that. And I relapsed three times between April 28th and May 29th. So I would, I'd want to get clean, but I didn't have the tools to get clean.
1: Mm-hmm. And it
0: wasn't until I was completely removed from the environment. Like I still remember when, um When I drove to Kankakee to move for the last time, Tony was cleaning out my car and he found syringes in the behind the driver's seat, which was right in front of my son's car seat. I don't Mm. I don't remember putting them there. Obviously, I did. Like, I mean. It is a wonder that I didn't do jail time. I didn't lose my kids. My, my kids are amazing. I've made amends with all of them. We have great relationships. We talk on the daily. They know about the book. I haven't hid anything from them. We have great relationships. We, I mean, great, great, all of the kids. But as far as my birth three that were in the madness with me, they continually tell me, mom, quit apologizing. Like we love, we we're not mad about it. Like we're mm-hmm. not. Um, my oldest is pre-med. My middle is married. My oldest is pre-med, married, and has two kids. My middle is married and he is uh he just applied for like a level level up management position, but he's got a really good job out in Kansas with his wife. And then my baby, he's a crew chief engineer living in Italy. Like
1: Wow, I, isn't I, I, God, God good?
0: God's so good. Oh, when He when the word says that, that he'll give back, repay what the locust ate, trust it. Trust right. it. I mean, so, seriously.
1: So you got sober and then um did the two of you remarry then soon after that?
0: Yeah. yeah. So I moved up there uh May 29th and we had a real wedding in a real church where my daddy gave me away with a real real wedding dress on. Uh, June 24th. So within the month. Wow. Um, wow. And yeah. Yeah. And so, um, the neat thing, and I talk about it in the book. Um, there was a so at the Salvation Army, there was a guy that cut down trees and he would come to the Salvation Army and pick up day laborers. And right when Tony got in, so Tony used to work for his uncle in Chicago, Um, doing, um, doing landscaping and all that stuff. And so um, Tony immediately had a job. God provided him with a job. He's a Christian man. His mom is a Christian. She's my, one of my spiritual mothers. We're still friends to this day. Like we go up there to, up by Kankakee is just South of Chicago. And at least two or three times a year, we go up there and stay at her house still 16 years later. Um, and so love the family. We're still knit together, but this guy provided my husband work, um, helped him find a trailer park to get moved into Tony found a trailer. It was totally trash. The landlord waived the deposit in the first month's rent. Tony just had to clean it up. And so it took him that whole first month to get it clean before me and the boys could move up there. Um, And I wanted to wait till the boys got out of school, which was legit, but I really think it was probably the enemy trying to fight to keep me in bondage. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I am grateful. Like I said, May 29th, 2006, last time I ever touched any of it. And so I'm super grateful for it. So grateful for it.
1: That's amazing. I
0: mean, the biggest part of it is I fill my house, but I don't go back by it. Right. I don't go back by it. I fill my house, but I don't go back by it either. I'm not, yeah. you know, I mean, just plain, plain put.
1: Um, yeah. You know, so, props
0: to those people that stay stay in those neighborhoods or stay where whatever. I mean, yeah. and it's not that I don't work with it because I do work with it. I have seen it. I have been around it. Um, I do court ordered people all the time. But I, I really pick and choose how to be safe and keep my inner circle safe because you right. have to, you have to protect absolutely
1: your heart. protect your heart. How? um, So now, then, Tony became a pastor. Is that correct?
0: Yes. Yeah, so he got ordained. He took he took a bunch of classes through Set Free Ministries. I don't know if you're familiar mm-hmm. with that or not. While well, he was in prison, and just got ordained, and um. And then he got several other, I don't want to say their degrees. Um, He was going to do a, um, what the world would have seen as a degree. Like he started at um, Kankakee Community College, um, which was kind of more like me birthing an Ishmael, kind of pushing him into it. I'm I'm just going to be honest. Like I really was forcing him. And that was about 12 years ago. And then um, 10 years ago, which this is totally funny, one of the CPS workers that had been involved during our first marriage, who was a pastor, um, called Tony and said, hey, I'm planting a church in New Orleans, and I would like you to co-pastor with me. And he was willing to use all of Tony's prison credentials. And he knew that Tony he knew, he knew what Tony knew and believed that his walk was sincere. By this time, Tony had been out of prison for six years and had already been released from parole and, um, was still legit walking with God. We were like, our kids were in Christian school at Kankakee. We had our own business, very active in the church. Um, just still kind of waiting on God, not knowing what it was that God was calling us to do. Uh, When my husband got the call for us to go to New Orleans to plant the church, I was like, absolutely not. There is no (laughs) way that God would call us to go to New Orleans when we have three boys that just took a, you know, two of them just took a purity class. One's a freshman and one's an eighth grader. There's no way. Like, I thought it was Sin City. And um, so this was the strongest spiritual warfare that I went through in my mind. I went to my pastor's wife and stated my case thinking that she was going to side with me. And, um, I'm pretty sure she thought I was an idiot. And she said, (laughs) have, have you prayed about any of this? Like, have you asked God what his will is or have you prayed for your marriage? Do you pray for your husband? Do you pray for your kids? I'm pretty sure she even asked me if I read my word. And at that time, six years clean, six years, never missing a Sunday service, only watching Christian programming on TV, only listening to Christian music. i would never prayed, never been in my word. Interesting. Pew sitter. Well, your faith will grow as you grow it. But I was lazy. Yes. 100% lazy.
1: And so you began to pray and God answered, huh? (laughs)
0: Quickly, quickly. Um, And I I had also, for some reason, right at that same time I had gotten involved, the, the church was challenging me to grow about the same time. And I got in this Bible study, sun Stand still. And in the very introduction of it, there's a challenge statement that says, Christians, we cannot sit in our basement eating our can of Beanie Weenies waiting for the end of the world. We've got to get out there and share the good news of the gospel of Jesus (laughs) Christ, because if we won't, who will?
1: And so (laughs) talk about hitting you right on the nose.
0: (laughs) The reason the pastor had asked us. So my family's biracial. New Orleans is very multicultural. My husband's been in prison and he now had a successful self-employment business. New Orleans has the highest prison incarceration rate in the world not just in America, but in the world, it has the highest recidivism rate. Recidivism means when you get out of jail, you go back to what you know and you get rearrested. So it's not breaking chains. So what are we doing? It's a broken system. How do we fix that? So this pastor strategically or Holy Spirit and God, I mean, or all three, like whatever, picked my husband because we are a family that, isn't uncomfortable in the inner city, New Orleans, understands drugs, alcohol, addiction, prison, working, breaking chains, like remarriage, families. I mean, and so that sermon, if we won't tell them who will, if I won't show them who will, because sometimes people look at the Bible and they think, I can't relate to that. But who can relate to a pink and purple haired girl <laughs> that's clean from mess you know you know what I mean? Right.
1: Yeah, like, I do. Not, I do. And
0: I don't want to sound I don't want to sound prideful. I just want to help people find Jesus. Because I remember being sick and tired and sick and tired and just feeling like those people in the the lie that Satan says is they can't relate to you and they don't want to relate to you. Mm. That song, that song, does anybody hear her? Mm-hmm. you know, where she just keeps walking by the church because she doesn't want to go in because she's so ashamed. And so, um, so we went, so I knew within two weeks of meeting with that pastor's wife and starting that stinking Bible study. Um, I knew, I knew that we had to go.
1: And so how long were you guys in New Orleans then?
0: Four years, four so years, four, four years. So, we And did- how was the
1: church planting process for you? I've planted three churches and it's, it's hard work.
0: It's so hard, so hard. So that pastor recently, so just, so the church, the plant took place in 2012, 13, and by 14, it dissolved. Mm. So it didn't, it didn't last. Inner city, New Orleans is hard. Inner city, New Orleans is hard. And strategically, you've and, and strategically anywhere, you've got to be there five years. I mm-hmm. mean, I know long, I've been at this church I'm on year six and just now having long, you yeah. know, and, and we've had, both of it. we've had, yeah. both of it. so, I mean, like I've learned so much over the past 10 years of ministry. It takes, it takes three, four years to gain people's trust.
1: Yeah. So, so um, you're a chaplain ours. now you're a chaplain yeah. now. Yeah. And so who are you a chaplain with and to church of God? Okay.
0: Underneath the church of God.
1: Okay. And you work with, um, addicts now. Yep. And what kind of work do you do?
0: Well, so I run celebrate recovery. Cool. Um, I have done, so I've helped which COVID threw a lot of things off for that two years, but pre COVID I had worked with four different moms in restoring their families doing court ordered supervised visits Through that process, and then also the Jane Doe that I wrote about in the book, my husband and I decided to become foster parents. And so we did foster parenting for a little while, um, for 11 months through COVID. But um, I've worked with moms, with family court. Um, It's really, since since you're not video recording to show any of this. So this is my fun for kids office. But part of the cool thing which were closed. This this is closed because of COVID. But so oh, wow. this, is, this is part of our church. So I ran and operated this pizza place on weekends, and so I would sit in that office where we were just talking, and the kids would play while I would work with the moms doing supervising visits. Um, and then on Thursday nights, this is where I run my Celebrate Recovery. And so I've got this stage, I've got this nice stage. Uh, My husband actually laid this floor. He's a super handyman. Um, So we redid all this. He's getting ready to wax it. But like, so about
1: how many people are involved in Celebrate Recovery on a weekly basis then?
0: um, So on a good week, we could have about 75 or 80. Last night, we only had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven tables. And I think we only had about eight people at each tape, probably 50, probably 50. And so, um, so we've got celebrate recovery here. This is my little niche. Then this is, um, which it's atrocious. Don't mind that. That's my sound booth for celebrate. I have, I said, the worst thing they could have done is given this girl three offices.
1: Right. You could spread out too much in all of them, right? <laughs> I lost you.
0: And then they sit down and There we go. Okay, you're
1: back you're back now. I lost you for oh, a minute. So okay. um So you you were saying that the worst thing that they could do is give you three offices.
0: Oh yeah. Because, okay. So I, so now I'm back in my food bank. So I have a food bank office. I have a sound booth for celebrate recovery. And then I have that front office where, um, I meet with single moms while their kids play as I'm doing counseling where I do my drug addict work.
1: That's amazing. That's amazing. So, oh,
0: I love it. I love it.
1: What do you, um, What do you most want people to know about your journey? What is the most important thing you would tell people?
0: If he did it for me, he's willing to do it for you. I'm no Mm -hmm. special person. Everything he did for me, he can and will do for you. Like faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God but it's also by hearing stories. And I think that sometimes we listen to so much negativity because that's the enemy's goal that we forget. God's goal is for us to overcome. He did his part, the blood of the lamb, our parts, the word of our testimony. Yeah. And So I really think that, um, I want to share my story as much as I can, not because I, I don't want to sound prideful. I want people to know that there's hope.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That what
0: he did for me. He can and will do for anyone else.
1: Yeah. So you wrote a book called 50 Shades of Truth. Tell us about the book.
0: Okay. Um, so it's 50 Shades of Truth. Oh, it doesn't matter if I show it to you. Ha ha ha. So it's funny. So I am going to show it to you anyway. So the truth, I made up of lies. I don't know if you mm-hmm. can see that or not. Yep. So, um, because in this world, I believe, first of all, we talk about Satan being the principality of the airwaves. Mm-hmm. And so it seems to me that our music, our video games, our TV shows, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, everything is, and I'm not just going to say sexual. I'm going to say anti-family, anti-biblical. Don't don't discipline your child. Be your child's friend. Um do whatever feels good. Do instant gratification. Um be your own person. Live your own truth. And so 50 shades of truth is a mockery of one 50 shades of gray because that's not God's best. Okay? Mm-hmm. God's best is one man, one woman, husband and wife, um, to procreate on the earth, um, to be knit together as one, to have a family unit. And right now the family's under attack. And Mm -hmm. I know that, Um, I was never attracted to women. Okay. I, um, I had a great upbringing by my dad. 50 shades of truth is my real life story. So it talks about my upbringing. It talks about my first marriage, Then it talks about my drug addiction and then it talks about my remarriage. So the thing about my drug addiction was first off meth and what, and I've had tons, I probably had at least a hundred or more addicts come and tell me you wrote my story. You have my thoughts. Hmm. Satan doesn't have new tricks. And so the thing is, especially for a lot of girls and what I believe is going on in schools And what parents need to understand is seeds are being planted every day, seeds of truth and seeds of lies. Okay. For instance, there's a song out there. I can't change even if I wanted to. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now if that was true. I would still be strung out on mess, but it's not true because you can change the word of God tells us that we can be born that when we're born again, we become a new creation. So we can change. And when we allow our children to sing songs like that, to speak that over themselves, to create that in their spirit, that's that's not what God has called us to do. So I sometimes call it a parenting book. I sometimes call it a marriage guide. I kind of call it a warning for people. I believe that the media is desensitizing Christians and our youth and just everyone in general. Yes, Um, I made up my own world. I call it culture vate. Our current culture cultivated lesbianism inside me. I never thought about girls back in 19. No, back in 2002, there was a music video. I reference it in the book. It was on VH1 20 years ago where two little girls kissed. That's what started my lesbian porn addiction. That's where it initially sparked from. God mm-hmm. revealed that to me. What do you think our kids are struggling with now, 20 years later? TikTok, MTV, VH1, BET,
1: mm-hmm. YouTube.
0: What do you think our kids are fighting while we hand them devices at age eight, six? Yeah,
1: so many four, things.
0: Four? four. And I mean, parents, we got to do better. We got to be better. Yeah, we absolutely. Be better. And so I feel like I feel like David and Goliath. I don't care. I'm not scared. Um, I was tanning when I heard that song. I can't change, even if I want to. A couple of years ago, I wrote about it. It's in my book. My oldest brother is African American. My mom ran for state representative. I get the girl the women burning their bras wanting equal rights. I get African Americans wanting equal rights. You have no idea what my family has fought for. Um, I live I grew up in an all Caucasian white, however you want to say it town, with the exception of my brother who is 10 years older than me who my parents adopted. They adopted him. He is 54 years old. so they adopted him in Springfield, Minnesota when it wasn't cool to adopt for a white family to adopt an African-American. And so when in that video, they relate homosexuality as if I can't change, this is just who I am. Well, then baby rapers can't change. That's just who they are. Bank robbers can't change. That's just who they are. People unwilling to work can't change. That's just who they are. And, And I know that that sounds very hard. And I know that mm-hmm. sounds very mean. And I'm not trying to be mean. Drug addicts, I be drug users, you know, because there have been a lot of horrible things that the gossips. But God calls us to die to our flesh. He doesn't say it's going to be easy. He says we have to transform our mind daily. And so um I'm ready to fight this fight for Jesus. That's
1: awesome. That's awesome. How can people get a hold of the book or get a hold of you and learn more about you?
0: Um, I got a website, 50 shades of And so it's fifty five zero shades of com. Mm-hmm. And then also my husband and I have a ministry website and we have a, our own nonprofit prisoner to preacher. So it's prisoner, the number two preacher.org. And you'll, you'll see my pink hair. You'll get to read more. Awesome. about me and him. Um, and so we do travel and we do speak. I've done women's conferences. We've spoken together. Um, we're looking to travel more. We've been empty nesters now for a couple of years. And um, I am wanting to get into schools. I want to talk about identity and just, and it's not as much about what you can't do. Just learn who you are in God. Learn that God you know, God loves
1: you. Awesome to talk to you. And I just appreciate your passion and appreciate your work. And, and more than anything, I'm just so grateful to God for your life and for, for how he has worked in your life. So thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you. All right. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.
1: If you enjoyed this
0: episode, we would love it if you would leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can find Jill at jillriley.com on Facebook at jillriley.author, Twitter at JillReilly Author, and Instagram at jillriley.author. Also, feel free to send Jill an email at Jill at jillriley.org. Thanks for listening in and have a great day.